Last Sunday, there was a glorious gathering of believers in Malvern as Valley Creek Church, the church that we planted, led by Nick Kidwell, met for the first time. And I wanted to report to you, God met them in such glorious ways. They had some 95 adults and 50 kids there. Nick reported to me that the people gave just on that Sunday over $50,000 to the work of the Lord. The gospel is being preached, Christ is exalted, and we get to be a part of it. And so I wanted to share that report with you as we thank God for all of His faithfulness. Please turn with me to Psalm 107 as we continue in worshiping God for His greatness and for His love. I say we are continuing in worship because it is a great mistake to think that in our singing we worship through song and music, but that when we turn to the preaching we somehow stop worship. No, preaching is a continuation of worship. It is what John Piper says is expository exaltation. And this is why we as a church believe that it is fitting and appropriate that when glorious truths are spoken from God's Word, we do not listen entirely with silence, but we respond with active listening and affirmation of the glorious truths of God's Word. Our sermon title is God's Unchanging Love, and we are looking at Psalm 107. This is one of the psalms that the people of God sang when they returned from exile. It is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a joyful psalm. It is a psalm praising God for His goodness and His love. Our God abounds in steadfast love. And it is the unchanging goodness of God that provides the unchanging basis for our unchanging gratitude to God. Psalm 107, we're going to read the entirety of this psalm, and I'd like to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is God's holy and authoritative Word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert ways, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. 
So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. And they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. And tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord and his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then... They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly. And he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression and evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love 
of the Lord. Our sermon title is God's Unchanging Love. May God bless the preaching of his word and you may be seated. I don't know a lot about the depths of the ocean. I've seen videos narrated by David Attenborough that have captivated me, that have mesmerized me, that have presented some of the astounding glory of the ocean deeps. But in terms of my own knowledge and experience, uh, I have only spent time at the very edge of the ocean by the crashing waves where my feet can touch the ground at all times. Uh, To say that I have mastered the ocean, to say that I know all about the ocean deeps would be a joke. The same is true of our knowledge of the unchanging love of God. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who gave me this comparison. He once said, we must never fall into the error of imagining that because we are Christians, we therefore know all about the love of God. Most of us, he says, are but as children paddling at the edge of an ocean. There are glorious depths in this love of God of which we know nothing. The ocean of God's love is infinitely vast, and friends, we have not mastered this ocean, and we never will. We are not experts on the love of God. We are children paddling at the edge of an ocean. His love for us is so great. This gospel is so glorious that we will never exhaust its depths. Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, our chief defect as Christians, so you wonder how's that sentence going to (laughs) finish, our chief defect as Christians is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. How often have you thought about this? We spend time thinking about our activities and our problems, but the most important necessity in the Christian life is to know Christ's love to us. The chief defect in the Christian life is that we do not sufficiently understand and enjoy and rest in the unchanging love of God for sinners. This is why in Ephesians 3, Paul prays that prayer. He says he bows his knees and prays for a mighty outpouring of spiritual power in the hearts of God's people. Why? so that we might have strength. What do we need strength for? Strength to comprehend more of the breathtaking riches of the love of Christ for us. That's what we pray. We need to understand more of the love of Christ. We need to know that which surpasses knowledge. The assumption behind that prayer is that those original recipients the church in Ephesus, and Christians everywhere, us included, do not sufficiently understand and appreciate the staggering glory of the love of Christ. His love is broad enough to spread to all nations. His love is long enough that he has loved us before the foundation of the world and will love us through all eternity. His love is high enough that all of heaven and earth will praise him. And his love is deep enough that it reaches even to the greatest of sinners and prodigals 
and wayward people. Psalm 107 is therefore addressing our chief defect. It's addressing the most important necessity in the Christian life, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And God has given us this psalm to deepen our understanding and knowledge of His great love and to catapult us into a life of thanksgiving. His intent, God's intent, is that the redeemed of God would rise up and sing of the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord. However, whatever sorrows they may know, however isolated you may feel, wherever you may be in life, this is God's intent, that the redeemed of God would rise up and sing and give thanks to Him for His steadfast love that is with us in the midst of every circumstance. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? You say, my life is not going the way that I thought it would. It seems that I have no reason to give thanks. Friends, you have reason for thanksgiving today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. The reason given to praise God is the duration of of his goodness and his mercy to us. Here is a steadfast love that endures not just for a moment, not just for a time, but forever, all the days of our lives. It never changes. His love is with you now and all of your days. And so God says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's an everlasting love, which makes it different from every other love in the world. And in Psalm 23, verse 6, it declares that the Lord's goodness and mercy will follow you, will be running after you all the days of your life. His steadfast love endures forever. In verses 1 through 3, we have this call to worship. That call to worship continues let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There is a response that is needed from the people of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from every tribe and tongue, from every ethnicity and nationality, diverse people from diverse places, all with one shared anthem of praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How can those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ possibly remain silent and unaffected? Let the redeemed of God rise up and sing. Let the redeemed of God marvel at the steadfast love of Christ for us that will endure forever. First, verses 4 through 32, it's the bulk of this psalm, celebrate God's unchanging love in delivering us from sin. He delivers us from sin. And here we encounter, you may have noticed this in the reading of it, four pictures of human predicament and divine deliverance. Each picture is a different way of describing the varied effects and consequences of sin in our lives. And each picture displays the riches of God's love to sinners. We read these these pictures, we see them and 
you know what should be the first thing that comes to mind? Our own lives. Our own stories. We see ourselves in these pictures and we can relate to each one. In each one, there is a moment of distress and then there is a cry for help and then there is divine rescue and then there's an exhortation to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. So distress, crying out, deliverance, thanksgiving. The distress, it's interesting, I wonder if you've ever known distress in life. I would say if you've never known distress, you're not a Christian. Because what it is that brings us to Christ is this moment of distress. The distress comes from a moment of realization that left to ourselves, we are totally helpless and hopeless. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. We need to be rescued by another. And this is demonstrated in in these four pictures. First, there are those lost in the wilderness, verses 4 through 9. They've lost their way, they are hungry, they are exhausted, they are unsatisfied. It is a compelling picture, a powerful picture of the lostness, the spiritual lostness, and the spiritual hunger that the world experiences apart from Christ. This world is full of empty, broken cisterns that can't hold water, and that cannot satisfy. And there are so many people in the world today who feel homeless. They have no peace. They have no place to settle. They are wandering, lost, and without hope. And friends, that was our situation. Second, there are those trapped in darkness, verses 10 through 16. These are people sitting in chains. They are bound by sin. They have sinned and rebelled against a holy God and sin has done what it always does and that is enslaves. It has enslaved them and they are unable to escape. They can't break free from their anger. They can't break free from lust, from pride, from discontentment, from sinful anxiety. They are enslaved to sin and unable to escape and they are objects of God's righteous wrath against sin, having rebelled against a holy God. This was our situation. Third, there are those who are weak and self-damaged in verses 17 through 22. They are, they're fools who have made a mess of their lives through their self-centered living. Their physical and spiritual health has been damaged because of their own poor decisions. Derek Kidner actually says that verse 18 could call to mind the drug addict. He says, but only as one example of man's perennial determination to get hurt. Uh, We think of those with addictions. We think of those bent on folly. We think of those overwhelmed by fear and discouragement. We can think more broadly in that picture of all who are weak and sick. This was our situation. And then fourth, there are those fearful in the storm, verses 23 through 32. Each one of these sections begins with some, some, and then goes on to give the description. Here, there are those who are in the storm at sea. They are, here's here's what the picture is. They are threatened by forces beyond their control. It is a life of turmoil. It is a life of chaos. 
the outward storms of circumstances and the inward storms of sin. They are on a small boat in this massive storm, and it is absolutely terrifying because the problems of life are too big for us to manage. All of our planning, all of our proactive leadership, all of our management skills, all of our efforts at self-help are not enough. This is those who are storm-tossed and at the end of themselves. They are desperate for peace and calm and hope and rescue. That was our situation. And in, in each one of these situations, the people of God, what, what, makes, what makes you those who belong to the Lord, what makes you a Christian, the people of God are those who cried out, not just crying out in general, but cried out to the Lord. They looked to God. They cried out to the Lord because they knew there was nothing they could do to help themselves. Those lost in the wilderness can't find their way home. Those in the prison cell could not free themselves. Those who were sick could not heal themselves. Those who were in the storm could not deliver themselves. Man in his sin is helpless and hopeless, but there is a God who can do what we cannot do. There is a God who rescues, and this is what God has done. You don't become a Christian by being morally superior. You become a Christian by crying out in desperation Asking God to do what only he can do. Humbly acknowledging, I need a savior. I need rescue. And if you have never cried out to God, today is the day of salvation. We prayed for prodigals. It could be that some of the prodigals we prayed for are even present in this room. God loves you with an everlasting love. And he is calling you to himself. And if you have responded if you are among the redeemed well remember what God has done for you let this chapter this glorious psalm serve to remind you of the goodness and faithfulness of God to you all your days in how he delivered you from sin to those lost in the wilderness and wasteland of sin God has taken action God has Come to us in Christ, entered into our desert place. He came to bring us home. He came to give us an eternal city to dwell in. And this is the city that you have in Christ. A city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He brings us out of the desert into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he satisfies us. He satisfies us in Christ so that we will never hunger or thirst again. Verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And to those trapped and enslaved in the darkness of sin and death, Christ our glorious Savior by his death and resurrection has set us free. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and of the shadow of death. You were in darkness. You were in the shadow of death. But Christ brought us out and burst their bonds apart. Verse 16, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. 
The hymn says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. That's, that's where we were. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose. I went forth. I followed thee. God has done it. God has set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He breaks the bonds. And to those who are weak and self-damaged, verse 20 says, He sent out His word and healed them. The gospel makes us new creations by cleansing us by healing us, by changing us from the inside out. God in Christ is restoring what has been broken and lost by sin. And to those fearful in the chaos, in the storm at sea, verse 29 says, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Verse 30, He brought them to their desired haven. It's what the gospel does. The Lord of heaven is the Lord of the storm who entered into the greatest of storms, the storm of the wrath of God. And he did so that he might become the anchor of our souls now and forever. So that in every storm we face in life, we might know that he is with us. And he did it to bring us into that eternal haven, a place of peace and rest where we will dwell with God and with all the redeemed. When we wandered in the wilderness, he came after us and brought us into his city. When we were imprisoned in darkness, he is the one who set us free. When we were sick, he healed us. And when we were storm-tossed, he rescued us. In every case, there is a deliverance that reveals the steadfast love of the Lord to the redeemed. The love of God for you. And today, we know about the steadfast love of the Lord in much deeper ways than the psalmist knew. Because God, in order to rescue us from our folly and misery and sin, God gave His Son for us to die in our place, which is the greatest love the world has ever known, the dying love of Jesus Christ. Think about it. No other love comes at so great a cost, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No other love is shown to such great enemies who have hated and rebelled against the one who loves. No other love is so steadfast and unchanging. No other love so richly blesses and transforms the recipients of this love. There is no love like the love of Calvary. Friends, consider that moment of the cross. Consider his bloody sweat in the garden of Gethsemane. See him buried his own cross. Hear him in agony crying out to the Father. This is love. Here is love vast as the ocean. See the prince of life shedding his precious blood. For you, for me. The cross is the pulpit of God's love. Here is where love is revealed. Here is where love is made known. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loves us and sent His Son to die in our place. 
to show us a love that we've never known before. And from the doctrine of the unchanging nature of God, follow this, from the truth that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, we know for certain that the heart of Christ for you now, this very moment, from heaven's throne, is the same as it was in that dying hour. He loves you no less today than he did the day he died for you. Remember and never forget what you have been rescued from. Remember your past. Remember the story of God's rescuing love. And give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Second point. Verses 33 through 43 celebrate God's unchanging love in all his dealings with us. Rescuing us from sin and all of his dealings with us. Verses 33 through 43 is the conclusion describing times of adversity and abundance that God brings to his people. And we even think of those not only in our own, our own lives, but those in our lives, in times of abundance and in times of adversity. This is a description of those circumstances that God brings to his people, but here's the point, all as expressions of his unfailing love to us. God leads and sustains his people through pain and trial, and he leads and sustains them through times of joy and abundance. And through it all, you might think, oh, that person's life looks so much different than mine. Well, there is a similarity because there's a constant through it all. And that constant through it all is that the steadfast love of the Lord remains. In his love, he hears us in moments of distress. In his love, he meets us in the midst of every storm. In his love, he works glorious reversals in our lives, turning grief to gratefulness, turning darkness to light, taking the barren place, making it a spring. And so, friends, if you are presently in affliction, if you are experiencing what verse 39 describes, you see that? Oppression, evil, and sorrow. If you're in a situation where it's really difficult for you to perceive the love of God for you, remember that we must never measure God's love by the presence or absence of difficulty. Rather, we must always measure his love by the reality of the cross, where he has shown his love for you, where he's demonstrated it once for all. Christopher Ashe says, the ups and downs of life are not evidence that God's love has strengthened or weakened. And some of you need to hear this as you're in the ups and downs of life. The ups and downs of life are not evidence that God's love has strengthened or weakened. Because we are in Christ, who fully and finally satisfied God's law, each one, every up, every down, every blessing, every hardship, each one is the constant outworking of His unchanging love. God really does love you, and that is always cause for giving joyful thanks to him. He really does love you. He really does love you. And I, as a pastor, feel like my 
fundamental job description is to convince the beloved of the Lord that they truly are as loved as they would dare to imagine and dream. That they are loved with a love beyond our comprehension. That we would go together deeper into a knowledge of this love that is present in the midst of every circumstance. God is sovereignly working everything that you experience for your good and for His glory. All of it is the constant outworking of His unchanging love. And we can be so slow to believe it. The clouds hide the goodness of God from us, but He continues to smile upon us. He continues to show us His great love. George Matheson, I've I believe at some point in the past shared his story with you before. He was born in Glasgow, Scotland in 1842. And by the age of 18, he was totally blind. Uh, In spite of this disability, he went on to be an accomplished Bible scholar and teacher. He had been engaged to be married as a teenager, but when his fiancée discovered that he was going blind, she left him. And he was devastated. Matheson's sister cared for him in his blindness, but then years later, his sister was engaged to be married. And Matheson was reminded of the heartbreak of the former relationship that he had lost. And with his sister entering marriage, the the wound was fresh. And years later, he still grieved that his desire to be married had not been fulfilled. And yet he knew that Marriage does not complete or satisfy us most deeply. He knew only the love of Christ can do that. And so, the night before his sister's wedding, in the midst of great sorrow and in the midst of great distress, he wrote one of the great hymns of the 19th century. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. Sometimes it's all we can do. Our soul is weary, and we rest our weary souls in His unfailing love, the love that will not let us go. In His great sorrow, in His great distress, He had this unshakable confidence, this unshakable hope in the unchanging love of God. Do you have that confidence today? Has your weary soul found rest, knowing there is a love that will never let you go. It's all we need. All we need is knowing the Lord loves us with a love that will never fail us. One of the great benedictions of Scripture that I absolutely love, I found this later as a Christian, sort of tucked away. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5 says... And take this with you today. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Where's your heart directed today? Where will your heart be directed this week? I know where your heart needs to be directed. I know where my heart needs to be directed. We ought to pray that the Lord directs our hearts to the love of God, and to the steadfastness of Christ. I'm telling you, you will not go wrong in life if your heart is set on these realities. 
if your heart is directed toward the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Why? Because, as many of you know, human love will fail. Human steadfastness will falter. But the love of God endures forever, and the steadfastness of Christ is unfailing. And so John Stott says, our confidence, what's your confidence in? Our confidence is not in our love for God, which is frail, fickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. That's the love of God for you, and that's what your confidence is in today. To live a life of knowing and enjoying the unchanging love of God is the best life imaginable in the world. I'm concerned that too many Christians are not growing in wisdom in life. And here is the whole secret to wisdom in life. If you want to be a wise and discerning person all the days of your life, here it is, verse 43, the psalm ends on this particular note. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. We gain wisdom by studying and discerning the unchanging love of God that is written on the pages of our lives. Have you done that? Have you looked at your life and seen how the unchanging love of God is there on display? There are 10,000 ways the steadfast love of God has been shown in his providential dealings with us. All of my life, God has been faithful. All of my life, God has been so good. When I was a very proud young man, the steadfast love of the Lord convicted me of sin and brought me to tears of repentance. When my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, the steadfast love of the Lord sustained and comforted us and preserved her life and has preserved her to this day. God's steadfast love has given me countless blessings that I do not deserve. Daily provision of food and clothing, a home, an incredible church, friendships, a dream job, and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Study your life, study your story, and you will find the unchanging love of the Lord is there in every season, through every storm, in every blessing. True wisdom is found in discerning and celebrating God's unchanging love in all his dealings with us. Now, the conclusion of each of these four portraits of deliverance, we said, calls for thankfulness and praise. And you see that throughout every picture. And then in verse 8, in verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, all repeat the anthem of the redeemed. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. The unchanging love and goodness of God in our deliverance from sin and in his providential dealings with us all the days of our lives is intended to produce something in you. It's intended to produce a life of thankfulness in pra and praise in every one of us. Verse 22 says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Your life, Christian, 
is to be an offering. Sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. God's goodness to us has been so great that we could spend all of our days offering sacrifices of thanksgiving and still we would have more to thank Him for. Is your heart filled with thankfulness? Would those who know you describe you as a grateful person? If you have been delivered from sin and death, it needs to be said that ultimately you cannot go through life downcast and discouraged and defeated. If God has redeemed you, you must join the choir of the redeemed in giving joyful thanks to God for his steadfast love. The dominant note of the Christian life is praise because the dominant factor in God's dealings with us is goodness. And because he is good, we must be a people of praise. Let us be known as a thankful church. Let our homes be known as thankful homes. Let our marriages be known as thankful marriages. We have so many reasons to give thanks to the Lord. Let them even now offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. And verse 22, here we go. Tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Every one of them, not just some singing loudly, not just some who are joyful. Let the redeemed tell of his deeds in songs of joy. The hymn does not say streams of mercy never ceasing call for whispers of praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of God rise up and sing, praising the name of God who has delivered us from sin, who has set his steadfast love upon us, who has promised that his love will be with us all the days of our lives. We sing, we offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and we tell of his deeds in songs of joy. And so let me have the band return And I'd like to invite you to stand. God has gathered his redeemed. God has set his unchanging love upon you. And God is calling the redeemed to rise up and sing to declare his goodness. Charles Spurgeon says this, Whatever others may think or say, the redeemed have overwhelming reasons for declaring the goodness of the Lord. And then he says this, The redeemer is so glorious the ransom price so immense and the redemption so complete that they are under sevenfold obligations to give thanks to the Lord and to exhort others to do so. Whatever is going on, whatever your circumstances may be, the redeemed have overwhelming reasons to praise him. We have overwhelming reasons to rise up and sing to the Lord. What riches of mercy we have received from his hands and will receive forever. What undeserved favor he has set upon us. Friends, has the Lord delivered you from your distress? Has the Lord rescued you from sin and death? Has the Son of God loved you and given himself for you? Has he brought you out of darkness? Has he burst your bonds apart? Has he filled your hungry soul with good things? Well, has he? 
Has he filled your hungry soul? Has he redeemed you forever? Has he given you a song of joy? He has. Well then, let the redeemed of God rise up and sing. Let the redeemed of God marvel at this great love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Say that with me, he is good. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's praise the name of the Lord.